0: okay let's look at our scripture as we continue our study on the kingdom of god oh one more thing if you are new to redeemer haven't been here before we have a gift for you uh in this lovely gift uh back uh with little yet yellow crinkly stuff i created this myself uh it's very beautiful and it has a host of little gifts in it and so i encourage you to grab them right when you walk out uh, you can grab one of these and if you're willing Go ahead and fill out the connect card in your bulletin and drop it in the offering plate uh, so we can just send you a letter saying thanks for coming. Okay, our, our scripture again, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11, 1 Thessalonians 5, one through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security then the sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape but you are not in darkness brothers for that day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of the light children of the day we are not of the night or of the darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep sleep at night And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as we'll do. The Word of the Lord. (laughs) Well, it was mile 20, 2006, down on the boardwalk on Atlantic Avenue. I was running the Shamrock Marathon, and I wanted to quit. As I was laboring and suffering, a sweet thought came over my mind. What if I just laid down right here and died? (laughs) It would be so sweet to lay down among the marigolds. I had come so far, having failed trying to uh, qualify for the Boston Marathon last fall in the Marine Corps. And I had run 20 miles, and I was on pace, and yet there was so far to go. And I could not see the finish line. And so my tendency, my desire, was to quit. Were it not for my good friend J.T., who I had enlisted to run the race with me, I most certainly would have. But J.T. stood by me, and shouting to me and encouraging me. He continued to say, we're not far, keep going, keep going. Have you ever wanted to quit the Christian race? The scriptures do characterize the race of faith as a race in which there is a beginning and there is an end. And we're called to run this race by faith in a God that we've never met toward a finish line that we can't see. So what is it that stops us from quitting, from being overcome by the world, from laying down and dying? I think it's two things really in the end. It's the hope of heaven and it's the encouragement of our fellow brother and sister in Christ who sits in the pew next to us, who says we're almost there, keep going, keep going. As it is with us, it was the same way with the Thessalonians. They felt the pressures of the world squeezing them in, encouraging them to conform, to deform. And Paul, here in this passage, is encouraging them, reminding them of these eternal truths, just like I'm doing with you now. See, the crux of this passage is verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. See, it's through the encouragement of one another that in the end, you and I, who follow Jesus Christ, will finish the race. Paul wants to give us three points to help arm us to encourage our fellow brother and sister. Number one, the certainty of the future. Number two, the responsibility of the present. And finally, number three, the foundation of the past. So let's look at these three points, starting with the certainty of the future. Paul begins in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Just like now, so it was back then. There were people predicting and persuading, trying to persuade the Thessalonian church that Jesus was coming on a certain period of time, in a couple of days, or in fact Jesus had already come and they had missed it. But Paul here is saying what is said throughout scripture, that the one thing that we know is that we cannot know. We cannot know when Christ is coming back. While the people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The scriptures are using two illustrations to show this point. That of the thief and that of a woman in labor. See, a thief plots secretly, and acts suddenly. I don't know if you've been robbed ever before, but the thief does not announce his intentions. He does not say, on Thursday at 2 a.m., I'm coming, be ready. No, he plots and watches secretly. And when you are least expecting it, he acts suddenly. So it will be with the day when Christ returns. But also, he uses the illustration of a woman in labor. Although no one knows the exact time, unless it's scheduled, that it's time to head to the hospital, there is an inevitability about it, isn't there? Everybody knows that it's coming, don't they? The baby bump keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the time that is anticipated comes. And as such, there is a suddenness to the day of the Lord and an inevitability of it." But notice how this day is portrayed in the scriptures by Paul. It's portrayed negatively, because he's speaking about the world, not about believers. He's saying, while people are saying there's peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them. And this translation in the Greek of sudden destruction can be translated, total annihilation, a total wipeout will occur. It's like that tsunami coming over the ridge. And it will occur upon an unbelieving world that will not escape. There will be in the world this sort of laissez-faire attitude. There is peace and security around us, all is well. There's nothing to fear. For they will believe themselves secure. We love to rest in this peace as we live in the most privileged country in the world, do we not? We hear the sound of freedom flying over us day after day. Who can come against the mighty United States of America? And so we say that there's peace and security. Perhaps you're healthy and strong. You have your health and you work out. And so you look at your body and its strength and you say there's peace and security. Maybe you live in a strong community or you have good employment and it's easy to rest upon these great things and say there's peace and security in them. But the scriptures are very clear that none of those will withstand the day of judgment. All will be shattered. Now we have to ask the question, is this right? That God has the power at the time of his own choosing to come? and utterly destroy an unbelieving world? People sometimes ask me when they uh, don't believe in Christianity, why doesn't God do something about the evil in this world? We have a deep concern for justice as people, but it's a man-centered justice. Man is the judge. But this is God's world, and God most certainly is just. And he will not allow it to continue on in perpetuity. In fact, if God does not bring justice and judgment on the world, he's not a just just God. So where does that leave me if I am to be judged as well? (laughs) See, we have a fundamental need for peace and security in our lives. But the truth is, and we all know it if we pause to reflect upon it, it cannot be found in external circumstances. We can only find peace and security when we are made right with God who is the judge. For you and I do not want to get to that day, that time, to discover our status with God. This is why Jesus came in the first place, didn't he? He came not as judge, but he came as rescuer. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that none on their own merits can stand against the day of judgment. But Jesus came to be judged in our place. Jesus came so that on that day of judgment, whether it's through our dying before the day of the Lord or on the day of the Lord, we would be found righteous. He died a criminal's death. Though he was innocent, because God demonstrates his life for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it this way. For Christ died for sinners, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die the wonder of the gospel is amidst the uncertainty of the day of the coming of the Lord, we can have peace and security now in his life, in his death, and in his promise. I got the call yesterday from my mother that my uncle Fred had died. My mother had five brothers and sisters, and this one was the first. So there is a lot of pain and heartache in the family. I remember Uncle Fred as a little kid. He was a brilliant man. He was a lawyer. In fact, he was so smart, he was actually the district attorney of San Antonio. He had a strong career, was married, two children, fit as a fiddle. In fact, he was a champion in the senior Olympics. But like everyone else, time eventually catches up. It was not the day of the Lord, but rather it was his time to go at age 80 when he passed and I'm sure there will be platitudes written about him in the newspaper and people will look back upon his life and say he lived a good life but there is not peace and security in the things that we did in the past there's not peace and security from being the district attorney of San Antonio the only peace and security we have to face the unknown is the fact that Jesus Christ died for us and we can put our hope in him and through him there is hope for the resurrection from the dead we live with with certainty in an uncertain world and the one thing we know is that we cannot know do you believe in the day of judgment you might say that's nonsense a fairy tale and I would say to you be wary my friend everything Comes to an end. But on what basis do you say there is peace and security? Is it in your working life? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in your reputation? There is no lasting peace in death. Let your peace and security be in Jesus Christ. That brings me to my second point. If there is a certainty of the future, there is a responsibility of the present. But you, verse 4 says, are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He is specifically speaking here to believers, disciples of Jesus Christ. But you, in other words, you know different. For you are different. And because you know different, you know how this all works out. See, it's only the unprepared who are surprised by the unexpected. The prepared are prepared to be surprised because they know that it's coming. Paul continues, for you are children, all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul is saying it's not just that you have more knowledge or understanding of what is going to happen, but your actual core identity is different. You are not darkness, but you are light darkness represents the unbelieving world darkness represents disobedience it represents separation unbelief and death but light light represents understanding and illumination and light it represents who we are for jesus is the light of the world is he not remember john 8:12 And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, the wonder of the Christian faith is that we have him and he has us. We are in him and he is in us. And so we are not of the night or of the darkness. We are different and so we believe different and belief always in the end dictates behavior so paul goes on in verse six so then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night because you are different church you can't sleep as others meaning sleeping at night Meaning being dismissive of God's plan, dismissive of his rule, dismissive of what he is, who he is and what he's doing. See, those who are of the darkness sleep and get drunk at night. Those who are dead in the faith are not watchful. They don't care. They're more busy with the things of this world, not preoccupied with the things above. Rather, church, keep awake and be sober. To be awake is to be watchful, is it not? It's to be in tune with what's going on around you. In tune with your responsibilities, with who you are, having your wits about you. And to be sober, the word has a moral aspect to it. You live with self-control. There is a gravity to your life. You understand that how you live matters because you are accountable to another. Paul is encouraging the church, and I am encouraging you, that because we are surrounded by an unbelieving world, there is a temptation to conform, to lay down and sleep, to deform to the world's principles and practices but the scripture says, rather don't live like that verse 8 since we belong to the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation do you know what this means Christian it means to become a Christian a disciple of Christ is to commit to a life in battle a battle against darkness, wearing the armor of God. This passage actually comes from Isaiah 59 17 when it describes the Lord in battle, that he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So we are to put on the breastplate, which goes over our heart, faith and love. Faith is belief and confidence in God and His plan and His purposes. Even in the midst of challenging circumstances, I choose to believe and so I walk by faith and not by sight. But to wear the armor of the Lord is not only faith, but to have love for God and for others. Love for those around us, particularly in the pews next to us. And love for people who do not believe as we do. Love for even our enemies, Marx, who is a Christian. For belief will always in the end dictate behavior. And finally, to put on as our helmet the hope of salvation. That in the midst of whatever is going on, the hope of salvation informs our thinking. It functions as a north star, if you will. that helps us to remember that this is not the end. That we have an inheritance that is waiting for us. A kingdom that has our name on it. A king that is waiting for us to welcome us home. But I love what it says here. It does not say, like in Ephesians 5, to put on these things. But rather it says, having put on these things. See this armor came part and parcel with you when you trusted in Christ. It's yours to use. It's already in your arsenal. And so because of Jesus Christ we can do these things. We can live in faith in an unbelieving world. We can live in hope of salvation in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. I wear around my neck something that was my father's. It's a 20 peso gold coin, kind of like the American Eagle, but it's the Mexico equivalent of it. Ever since I was a child, I can remember, as my father held me, him wearing this necklace. And so when I put on his necklace, and in fact, I can't take it off without actually having to undo the clasp, it's kind of complicated, so it always, I always wear it. I remember my father. I remember his faithfulness as a dad to me. I remember his love. I remember his steadfastness in needing the family. The gold coin is around my neck and it helps me to remember and to press on myself for I now step and wear his shoes I resemble him more and more the father has given us something too has he not he's given us salvation through Jesus Christ and he's given us the Holy Spirit which we not only wear around our neck as a memento but he lives in us and propels us on in faith. We have a sure inheritance, Christian, and it's been with us since the beginning. So you and I are in a battle and you and I are equipped. We must be awake and we must be sober. And our hearts We must trust and walk by faith and not by sight. Choosing to love the unlovable. Choosing to understand in the midst of misunderstanding. Keeping our mind and our heart fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, we have a bigger prize than simply existing in this world. So don't settle for a lesser hope don't settle for it when I find that perfect someone, all will be well. when I have that perfect body, everything will be great. When I have those perfect friends, for it's not enough. It's the hope of salvation that you and I will be found righteous, that the Father will embrace us as my Father embraced me and that we will enter the heavenly kingdom to the sound of trumpets and the rejoicing of angels. We need to hear this from one another, do we not? For it's through the encouragement of one another that we will finish the race. This brings me to my final point, the foundation of the past. How can we truly stand upon these promises? Are my words simple platitudes, self help comments to push us on? No, for verse 9 tells us, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God who has not destined us for wrath. It's God's plan from the beginning that God architected out through the millennia. And God has never wavered in his promises for us. For he has not destined you, if you are a believer in Christ, you for wrath, but rather to obtain salvation. Through not yourself and your abilities, but through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our confidence is in his work for us, and then our confidence is in his work in us. For God is not destined for forever, but to obtain salvation for our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Notice it says that He died for us. Does anybody value you enough to die for you? If you are a Christian, somebody did. Indeed the Son of God Himself. Got up on the cross and died for you and me. Well, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. I love this. I'm wrapping up here, so stay with me. When we see this word, whether we are awake or asleep, we think of alive or dead, because sleep is often used to describe being dead. But this word in the Greek here, asleep, does not mean the sleep of death, as it's used and all those other uh, passages, it actually means being asleep. See I think what Paul is saying is that when you are faithful, and even when you are not being faithful, God is greater than your awakeness and God is greater than your sobriety. See we can leave going out of here saying, okay. That was a good pep talk. It's time to get serious. It's time to get going. I don't want to be caught doing the wrong thing when God comes. What if he discovers on that particular day I'm having a bad day? But the reality is we're so fragile. We forget. We conform and we deform. But whether we're awake and we're walking holy in step with the gospel or we're just asleep at the switch whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him for nothing can stop the grace of Jesus Christ not even you or me makes you want to love him more and more anyways, doesn't it? in fact that's the very reason why we call him Jesus therefore fall finishes. Encourage one another. And build one another up just as you were doing. Notice that it's a command. We are supposed to do this for one another. We need to do this for one another. Because we're at mile 20. Are we not? There's a certainty of the future. But there's a responsibility of the present. And most of all, we stand on the foundation of the past. So we have a privilege to ask one another, as I often do, how's your spirit today? How are you doing, really? And we have a privilege to answer to one another. But a great day. Or the truth of the matter is it haven't been that great day. I'm having trouble believing. And we can encourage one another. We're almost there. Keep running. Jesus finished the race for us. We can't lose. Let's keep running. Because it's through the encouragement of one another, as we run step by step, moment by moment, hour by hour, that we draw closer and closer to the finishing of the race. Jesus could come back 20 years from now. He could come back 20 minutes from now. But He's coming back. And He's coming back for you and me. And all who follow Jesus Christ. Have you made your decision yet? To bend a knee? To worship the good King? For our inheritance is not in ourselves but it's in Him. Praise God. Nothing can stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these building blocks of faith. The certainty of our future, that there is an inheritance kept up in heaven waiting for us. And the foundation of the past, the blood of Jesus Christ has settled things once for all. So that whether we're awake or asleep at the switch, we will be with you. So Lord, help us to live fervently, responsibly, soberly. And help us to take uh, uh, responsibly our privilege of encouraging one another, of running alongside as we run this race together. For it is together that we will finish it.